0: Hi, I'm Melissa Bender, a partner in the Asset Management Group at Ropes & Gray, located in our San Francisco office. I want to welcome everyone to the latest edition of the R&G Tech Studio podcast. In this edition, we have my friend and partner, Ed Black. Ed, I'm so glad to be with you here today. You'd originally been slated to ride off into the sunset as a retiring partner at the end of 2023, but instead you're going to be leading a new initiative here at the firm, which is dedicated to AI. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that role and what you're going to be focused on.
1: Sure. Well, M- Melissa, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. I was slated to uh, head for retirement. For the past, you know, depending on how you count, between 30 and 35 years, I've been working as a lawyer uh, with clients on how they carry out their technology goals and technology strategies in all their different businesses. Uh, and as I was in my uh, final year, uh, I began to have conversations with the firm about how I might be able to continue to add value, helping Ropes and Gray facilitate and develop its technology strategy. We're in a you know environment now where, uh, in part because of AI, but also for lots of other reasons, Technology is being aggressively integrated, not only into the back office of the law firm where it's been around forever, but into the front office of the law firm. It's being integrated into how we serve clients and what clients expect to see. And that's a place where I hope to add value in my new role. Uh, no longer as a client-facing service provider, but my job title is technology strategy leader. And I'm, I'll be working with people uh, you know across the firm to uh, make sure Ropes is at the forefront of how it uses technology in its front office services.
0: That's great. Well, um, I'm super excited about that. And I think we're going to dig into talking a little bit more about the strategy and the service offering a little bit later in our conversation. But first, I'd like to kind of just take a step back. Right. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I think it was a year ago that I first heard about ChatGPT. Um, And, you know, since then, I think we've been hit sort of with a tsunami of AI right in the news, including, you know, in conversations with clients and likewise here at the firm in terms of engagement with AI. But, you know, AI isn't new. Right. What is so different? What's 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 so different and new about the chat GPT technology that this conversation has sort of reached a new and different level?
1: Well, Melissa, I'm completely with you
0: You know, in this idea that I think you're suggesting
1: that ChatGPT is as important in, in, a, in the sense that it's a cultural moment as it is in the sense that it might be uh, a technology moment. Um, AI technology, in particular, the type of AI technology that's involved in the OpenAI initiative, ChatGPT, uh, large language models and machine learning, That technology has actually been around, not just for years, but for decades. It's been advancing very incrementally, very consistently. But what ChatGPT unveiled uh, was how far it's come over a period of years and how useful it could be, not just uh, to handle niche problems uh, defined within large organizations like the Defense Department or giant companies, but how useful it could be to ordinary people doing ordinary things that we all do every single day. And suddenly a bunch of people in the legal profession and outside of the legal profession realized in a way that maybe they could have realized sooner, but in any event, ChatGPT underscored it, that many of the day-to-day tasks can now be carried out in a way that is augmented by, if not replaced by, Uh, uh, artificial intelligence tools. And and that was the cultural moment. There's a whole world of people in and outside the legal profession who suddenly started looking at transitioning the performance of various types of tasks onto an augmented AI environment or fully replacing AI environment who up until that moment, up until they saw how ChatGPT could help a ninth grader write a high school essay, they, they just weren't thinking. They, they didn't realize that the technology was there and had come that far. Uh, and that cultural moment of realizing how useful AI and candidly other technology tools are uh, opened up the door to a lot of questions that we get in the law firm now every day about how we're going to use AI to be time and dollar efficient, task that maybe t- took us 10 hours a year ago. Why isn't that taking us five hours now, maybe with augmented technology? How we're going to get to more comprehensive and more accurate results. Uh, one of the great strengths of technology, including AI, is the ability to marshal large data pools and deliver targeted insights quickly and efficiently. Well, if you look at that that question, how to marshal large data and deliver a targeted insight, that's core to the legal function. People come to us all the time and say, "I'm buying a company. I'm selling a company." I'm forming an investment fund. I'm initiating a major piece of litigation. And I want to know what is the market for this particular term? I want to know where do the courts stand nationally, if not internationally on this very specific issue. And, uh, uh, and I want to know it now and I want to know it, uh, you know, at the lowest possible cost. Uh, And so that's how, you know, we've engaged uh, at ropes. We're looking with a large team, and I'm, I'm facilitating, but many others are involved, to try to uh, target AI and related technology to the delivery of legal services in a fashion that maintains excellence, is compliant with our regulatory environment, ethics, malpractice, et cetera, uh, but is really time and dollar efficient for the client, is faster, cheaper, with high quality results of the type that people associate you know, with and gray work product, premium, premium results.
0: Yeah, I just have to say, right, you know, what you're describing really underscores why it is that um, I think in the, um, in the venture industry, right, we're seeing that if you're running a legal tech startup that is promising to use AI, you're in pretty good shape to get funding, right, maybe relative to a lot of other folks, right, that are um, launching new tech businesses. I guess you know if you were to take a crystal ball right and be reflecting <laughs> on some of the ways in which AI is going to be disrupting the legal services industry I mean you've already alluded to some of the ways in which it could change things you know I'd be really curious to hear like you know what are some of the areas that are that you think are really ripe for change right based on the adoption of this technology including by law firms First I think there are certain tasks
1: that are carried out based on widely available, publicly available information, where in the end, right, we aren't there today, maybe a 12 to 24 month timeline, we are gonna see replacing technology. The, the reason I wanna hit upon that point about publicly available is remember the usefulness and the accuracy in particular of the type of AI that's really captured the public attention right now, this generative AI out of large language models, It really depends on the availability of truly large data sets that are representative uh, and can result then in the AI training accurately and delivering accurate results. There's lots of areas where candidly AI could do more, but in the immediate horizon probably won't do more because marshaling the training database could be tricky. Uh, But there are certain legal tasks associated with certain types of documents that are very commonly used. And when they're used, they're often filed in the public record, like with the Securities Exchange Commission or elsewhere, uh, and where large data pools can be assembled. And in that instance, uh, you could see in the 2012 to 24-month timeline, migrating toward a world where uh, humans are not gone. But there is an augmentation of the drafting process and the review process that allows you to very quickly assemble market-based thinking as to what the document should look like as compared to other market exemplars, allows you to review drafts that you're sending or drafts that you're receiving, compared not only against the immediately prior draft, but against this large database, uh, and allows you to seek and find counter proposals, new language and amendments uh, that can be put in. Uh, remember the so-called hallucination problem. Mm -hmm. AI AI is software. It, It follows instructions. And the instructions it's getting are about what is the most statistically probable answer or next word in that sentence or next paragraph on that page in light of all of the history I, the AI, see in my training database. And when it hallucinates something and says something is true, or something is there, or something should be revised, all it's really saying is, it's the most probable thing in light of what was in my training database. And so you still need a human there to impose that judgment, and to make all those corrections. And candidly, that's probably not going away anytime soon. Uh, You hear people marketing uh, uh, that they have technology that prevents hallucinations, and they do have guardrails that really prevent obvious problems. But, but that nuanced judgment, that something is just not the right tone, uh, uh, that's gonna take humans for a long time to come.
0: Yeah, I think that's something we see, right? On the asset management side, we've been piloting you know, um, quite a number of software tools that are available from third-party vendors who Ropes & Gray might be looking to partner with, right? And I think in many cases, mm-hmm. what we see is that those tools are um, can be extraordinarily helpful in terms of cutting down some of the um, raw labor associated with, um, you know, sort of very repetitive, time-consuming tasks, right? Um, but that, you know, the effectively the software has to be set up correctly to be asking the right questions, right? If you're going to get a good output, right? And then additionally too, right, there's nothing that's really going to be substituting for really having that second set of eyes, right? Scrutinizing and looking for these, you know, hallucinations, right? (laughs) Uh, Or other anomalies, right? That may come out.
1: You're absolutely right. And this highlights one of the challenges that Ropes and Gray is already planning to address. When you think about one of the things that AI and other technologies that are migrating into the legal front office, one of the ways they challenge the law firm is they challenge the law firm to be a great partner with technologies and technology service organizations. And that includes uh, technology service organizations that are making tech-based products that then we can bundle up with our ropes and grace services and insights to offer clients, but also to be a great partner with the technology service organizations that are inside our clients. So, you know, we're uh, looking at developing and extending collaboration tools in a fashion that will really create a seamless uh, connection between Ropes and Gray as a service provider and our clients. And that's gonna require us to become much more savvy in partnering with third party providers that are both used by us and by our clients to extend collaboration tools and other uh, digital environmental uh, features. And there's a pricing challenge there. There's a a pure technology cybersecurity type challenge there. Uh, There's, as I mentioned, a compliance challenge there, ethical rules, malpractice guidance, our client instructions. Uh, There's a a, a challenge there about meeting our client expectations. Uh, You know, one of the things that we in the legal service industry are going to be challenged by right away is the difference between where we are technically and where the service organizations that our clients deal with every day uh, where they are. Uh, You know, I have an app on my phone where I can immediately go look into my bank accounts. By the way, information I regard as critically private and needing to be protected by the strongest cybersecurity. And while out and about, using my phone app, I can look at images of every check I've written and records of every transaction I've engaged with for the past three to five years on my phone. Now, all of our clients, of course, can do the same thing. I I, I think one of the cultural moments that ChatGPT brought about is the realization that there are tools that will marshal these large data sets. And we have clients who are now wondering, why aren't my documents available at my law firm on the same basis? Uh, and we're going to rise to that challenge. We're, we're, we're going to uh, uh, integrate with our clients in a way that makes it faster, cheaper, and frankly, more convenient for them to take advantage of our legal services.
0: Yeah. I, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Right. I think one of the things that I and others um have been thinking about here at the firm um within asset management in particular right is sort of what is the what is the value proposition that we in ropes and gray are bringing to our clients from a legal tech perspective right because mm-hmm. increasingly be what we see is that you know um asset managers are themselves right reliant both on external vendors external service providers that are um developing software solutions, right? In many cases that may be based on um, uh, AI or utilize some form of AI, right? But likewise, Mm -hmm. they are increasingly investing um, in terms of their own internal infrastructure, right? Not only to be wanting access to their data sets and the ability to, to sort and see things on ropes and gray system, right? But on their own um, systems as well, right? And how is it that they can more efficiently conduct all aspects of their business, right? Including compliance, right? Which is in- increasingly onerous. And, and I think one of the things that other partners and I have really been focused on is understanding the technology tools, that our clients are utilizing in terms of external sir- service providers but also what they're building internally so that we can really be advising with them and consulting with them right in partnership around those technologies so yeah
1: that's completely right you talk about where is the value
0: add what is
1: it that that ropes and gray can and will continue to provide you know one of the challenges that actually our clients face most acutely is that a lot of this new technology is very expensive. Uh, it's expensive to set it up. It's expensive to maintain it. It's expensive to monitor it and keep it running in compliance with not just general applicable laws, but whatever special rules might apply in a given mm-hmm. industry. And this is a real opportunity for Ropes and Gray to uh, you know, help our clients. We do have some organizations that are so large that they can absorb the full capital cost of setting up their perfect digital environment just, just for themselves, as though it were a private playground. But the fact of the matter is that the vast majority of our clients don't have or wouldn't want to allocate the resources necessary to build that perfect environment where the only user sharing the cost is just them.
0: Mm-hmm, and
1: right. we have an opportunity at Ropes and Gray to build a technical environment. Again, it's gonna challenge us around our ability to be a good partner for the service firms and a good partner for our clients. It's gonna challenge us again around pricing. It's gonna challenge us in our compliance environment, but we have an opportunity to be a focal point for our clients and create an environment that they can essentially cost share and community share uh, uh, through use of the platform that Ropes & Gray creates allowing even some of our smaller clients to immediately be using these tools in a fashion that moves them right to the vanguard in terms of what's available and how useful it is to them. Uh, and uh, we're hoping that, you know, as we move forward into 2024, uh, we'll be able to actually see some of these things uh, uh, becoming implemented. Uh, it's, it's a long road. Uh, and again, lots of challenges. We're aware of them where we've got a team. Uh, It's definitely not a one-person effort.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, as our clients start thinking about kind of dipping their toe into the AI waters here, right, and thinking about the ways in which they may be able to um, leverage these technologies in their business, obviously coming to talk to ropes, something we're happy to be engaged with clients on, on that front. But you know what other types of suggestions would you have for clients as they're looking to really start engaging more actively right with what the opportunities may be for their business here in terms of leveraging um, this technology?
1: Well the first thing you mentioned, I just want to repeat it because it's a very important part of our message is we are ourselves. A member of the user community for this technology, and we are doing our best right now to uh, to be that good partner. Things that we already have going that our clients might want to jump in on are are these peer to peer roundtables. You know one of the things that um, we found I've found most useful as I try to move toward technology strategy is the ability to call people in other comparable organizations and say, what do you think about this question? What are you doing about this question? And so we've set up for uh, AI governance, a series of uh, peer-to-peer roundtables where we have groups of 10, 15, 20 people, all of whom have responsibility in their organization for figuring out how they're going to overcome some of these challenges I've identified, the compliance challenges, the economic challenges, and so on. And, and we have these uh, peer-to-peer discussions, uh, Chatham House rules, nothing leaves the room. Uh, and we'd be happy to add uh, more clients you know, to that dialogue.
0: Are, are these roundtable groups, are they organized by industry, geography? How are you thinking about tackling that?
1: Well, the partner in charge is Rowan Massey, and he currently has the plan moving forward with both industry-focused and geographic focus. One of the things we found in these roundtables is that a round table of a thousand people is useless. We really also do want it to be peer-to-peer discussion. And, you know, if you're dealing with how to manage AI in emergency room medicine, do you really want to talk to a bunch of peers who are using AI to run hedge funds? The interest has been so strong in these peer-to-peer roundtables that so far we've seen no problem at all uh, uh, creating groups that people want to be in and that they are finding useful. Now, by the way, even without the roundtable, Ropes and Gray itself is happy to be part of that conversation. You know, we did this uh, when uh, COVID came along. Yeah, mm-hmm. There was a, a world of regulation and policies and procedures that need to be invented on the fly to shut down your office, to move everyone off site. Mm-hmm. I won't repeat it all. Right. In any event, we had to invent all of that for Ropes and Gray and became a basically globally recognized thought leader because we were so committed to the partnership element and we made all of these things available to everyone who participated in dialogue with us. And we're doing the same thing with AI. Mm-hmm. where We're very happy to jump in just with our own policies and procedures. And again, uh, we're developing them. Many challenges still lay ahead for us. So it's not a completely done deal. It's not one of these things where, oh, we can send you the checklist. <laughs> we're working right, on right. <laughs> But uh But happy uh, to be in a dialogue. The other things that uh, we've got going is uh, we have a group coordinated by a colleague of mine, not a lawyer, uh, an IT professional an engineer, a fellow named Sergey Pollock, where we're very actively monitoring and being in close touch with uh, service providers and uh, providing AI-based products in the market. Uh, and uh, we have a number of clients who are in that field. We have a number of uh, who are both users and uh, publishers or producers or providers. And we stay in very close touch with the market and we're happy to talk about what we're seeing and how that's going. We also are thinking constantly again about the economic models, how the cost infrastructure for this works. Fortunately, we have a great team inside Ropes and Gray in our finance group, but we've got a couple of people who are now full-time involved in technology strategy, uh, figuring Mm -hmm. out those issues. We have a, a great knowledge manager, Patrick Diaz, who's focused on the use of AI and knowledge management. He's available for discussions. We have a CIO, Marcia Stein, similarly available. So, so lots of points of contact depending on your angle. And uh, again, our we also hope to rise to the challenge ourselves and to be announcing in 2024 how we're adopting policies, products, and services uh, that really make the most of technology in our front office, uh, in our client-facing services. That work product, you know, is is something we'll be looking to our forward roadmap for.
0: I assume that if any of our listeners are interested in learning more about you or this practice or any of this sort of menu of connections that you've just offered up that folks can reach out to you.
1: Absolutely. Now, a couple of things, in fairness, I'm talking now about people who are thinking about the business and practical issues in consuming these technology services, AI-based services. Yep. But we've got people in our healthcare group who are advising on the legal end of it Healthcare use of AI, you know, Christine Moundis, Megan Baca, AI and data privacy, Ed McNicholas, Fran Faircloth.
0: All right. Well, this has been incredible. Maybe we'll have to do um, a part two and we'll do a check-in, right, in six months and see how some of these things are going because I would love to hear an update. But um, in the meantime, I would love to know whether you're a New Year's resolutions kind of guy, whether there's anything on your retirement bucket list that you're still hoping to knock off in 2024? Anything that you're looking forward to on a more personal level?
1: Sure, sure. Well, I've been a working lawyer at uh, so-called big law for you know over 30 years. And so uh, back when I thought I was retiring, I booked a, a multi-week trip to the New Zealand Alps, to the mountain country. Oh, yeah.
0: Amazing. Yeah.
1: Uh, and so when I signed on for the new job, which job I'm very excited about, by the way. But I, I, I said right from the get go, I'm not, I'm not uh, canceling. That's so it. I yeah. am gonna take a few weeks to go to New Zealand and uh, clear my head. Uh, that's certainly uh, on the agenda. Uh, and then um, my new year's resolution is actually tied to this new job I'll be taking. Uh, you know, the thing we want most uh, out of the new initiatives because uh, we're a service organization is happy clients, and uh, so I plan to be traveling quite a bit to actually visit and meet with individual clients to make sure I understand their expectations of us in the area of technology and technology strategy, Uh, and uh, hopefully some people will be kind enough to take me up on it and sit for an hour and make sure they let me know what they think.
0: Well, that sounds fantastic. And like you're going to like you're going to be racking up a lot of frequent flyer miles. in. Fortunately or unfortunately. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, great. Thank you so much, Ed. And thank you again to all of our listeners. This has been the RNG Tech Studio podcast available on the Ropes & Gray website, on the RNG Tech Studio podcast page, and also wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you all for listening.